thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. so nice to be here. It's so nice to come up and talk after worshiping for 45 minutes. Like, wow, I wish I could do that. Like every time we go someplace, cause it's just like, ah, oh, filled, filled with the spirit. Um, so thank you. It's been lovely to be here, uh, so far this morning. So my name is Christy McKenney and, uh, a few things, um, before I get started that I want you to know about me. Uh, one is I am a, a lover of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a wife, and uh, I have an amazing husband. Um, his name is Bob McKenney, and he is a pastor at Bethany Chapel Community Church in Manchester. We have four children between us, um, and they are ages 29, twin girls, and a 15-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. Um, God has truly blessed me um, with this marriage it took a long time to get here, uh, but we've celebrated our six-year wedding anniversary, so we're kind of newlyweds, but I think we're always going to be newlyweds. Um, we are really, really just just truly, truly blessed. Um, so I've spent the majority of my career uh, working with children's advocacy centers and um, children who have been sexually abused and really helping them. Um, through the criminal justice system, through the healing process, it really was put on my heart uh, 20 years ago, 20-plus years ago. And so I've opened and I've run both children's advocacy centers in um, Hillsborough County in New Hampshire, in Nashua, and in Manchester. Um, I also uh, opened and operated the state chapter of all the children's advocacy centers called the Granite State Children's Alliance. Not sure if anybody's heard of that, but... Um, and then moving on to the National Children's Alliance, where I stayed for about seven years, uh, where I was the director of membership services. So kind of overseeing um, all the children's advocacy centers around the country, which there's um, like 900 of them. So it's a big movement, a big national movement that's um, very passionate. And I'm really... Um, Glad that Melissa shared some, some statistics with you today because we didn't even talk before this, and I'm also going to share some statistics. And, um, and so, you know, when I do that, it might surprise you. Like, I, even when I was sitting there, I heard people kind of go, oh, what's that? One in four girls, one in six boys, that's that's. So it might, it might frustrate you, even the more statistics that I'm going to share. It might also make you feel uncomfortable. And here's the thing, is when it comes to trauma, and especially with sexual abuse trauma, people get uneasy. And that's okay. That's okay. The uneasiness usually comes because we don't understand how such a horrible thing can happen. We just don't get it. Or the uneasiness comes because you start thinking about somebody that you know in somebody that that has happened to them. Or, worse, it could have happened to you. And if it has, I'm very, very sorry. I'm going to share with you a small portion of my own text testimony and my story, um, but I want to do this because I want to share the depth and complexity of this issue. 
But I also want you to see God's total providence in all of it. It's also important that we point out that there are problems in our own communities today. Now, we are talking um, because our place of context is Manchester, but all communities in Lowell, around here, um, you know, there are, there are issues. And we are called to look outside of the church. Am I right? So, brothers and sisters, it's a disaster out there. It's a mess. And God is definitely calling us to be out there Hands of feet of Jesus, as I heard also this morning. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But also, and lastly, I'm going to share with you about Light of Life Ministries and a very special place called the Lighthouse, as well as introduce my friend and um, sister in Christ, Donna, who will share about the story of real life giving and another very special place called Revive, um, and, and now our combined ministry. So in all of this that I'm going to share There's going to be some valleys that we're going to dive into, okay? There's going to be some difficult things that you may hear and have to kind of digest. Um, But the one thing that is going to be in common is the undeniable healing, faithfulness, and hope that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. So always remember that in this. All right, so the national statistics show one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. 70% of all sexual assaults across the country, that is of every single sexual assault, whatever age, 70% of those happen to girls under the age of 18. The problem is only one out of every 10 people that are sexually abused actually tell somebody. So if we have nine let's just say girls right now, who have been sexually, no, 10 girls who have been sexually abused, only one of them is going to come forward and tell somebody while they're a child, if ever. Um, And that is where the problem lies. And that is where, why I was so involved in Children's Advocacy Center, because I wanted to get to those kids, that those nine kids that weren't disclosing, that weren't coming forward, so we could get them the help. Um, Because, Child sexual abuse has lasting implications for people, for men and women. Um, So the real tragedy in child sexual abuse is that they, the children, it robs their potential and setting into motion this chain of events and decisions that affect them all throughout their lives. And so I'm going to share a little bit more facts here. And, you know, for those in the room for men, Please know this is it, this is as serious as it is for men as women, and honestly, that one out of six men, it's probably higher than that. But boys are significantly less likely to come forward, and I could do a whole other talk on why, um, but maybe another time. <laughs> but um, and so know that I'm not avoiding the the that males are also victims of this, um, but we are a ministry that does focus on the women for now, anyway. Um, so a fact, female adult survivors of child sexual abuse are three times more likely to report substance abuse problems. So 41% of the population versus 14% of the general population. So huge issues with substance abuse. Adult women who are sexually abused as a child are twice as likely to have depression. 
Adults with a history of child sexual abuse are twice as likely to report a suicide attempt. Females who have been sexually abused are three times more likely to develop psychiatric disorders than those who are not sexually abused. Another fact, obesity and eating disorders are more common, significantly more common, in women with a history of child sexual abuse. Fact, physical health problems are common in women who have a history of of sexual abuse. So listen to this, 30% more likely to have a serious medical condition such as diabetes, cancer, heart problems, stroke, or hypertension. Okay, this impacts everything. Fact, they are more likely to be involved in crime, both as a perpetrator and as a victim. They are twice as likely to be arrested for property offenses. They are twice as likely to be arrested for violent offenses than the general public. These are huge issues. They impact our communities. They impact our neighborhoods. They impact our healthcare system, not to mention the countless lives in the path of the storm of sexual abuse. So let's look at our community, Manchester in, part- in particular. But until recently, in Manchester, there were no transitional housing pro- short-term transitional housing programs for women who had children um, in our largest city in Manchester. So they're either in prison, on the streets while their children are in foster care, or on the edge of total destruction with further abuse, sex trafficking, and drugs. And it's no secret that there's been a shortage of affordable housing in the city. And so this has only gotten worse since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. I mean, it has gotten incredibly worse. And this is a particular challenge for those who are in low-income brackets. And we just can't keep up. But God, we need to look to God. Here's the thing. I am one of those statistics. I was abused sexually when I was five years old. And that was just the beginning of this winding path of destruction that my life took. And I'm going to tell it to you like this. For years, I was having this reoccurring dream. I'm in a room. It's completely dark. My stepfather is also in the room. I can't see him, but I know he's there. And I am desperately trying to find the door to get out of the room. It is terrifying. I spend the whole train trying to get out. And, of course, I never do. Um, And all I can hear is, like, my heart pounding. And ultimately, that's what wakes me up. Now, if you knew me when I was five years old, you'd understand why this dream was not a reflection or memory of a fun game I used to play with my stepfather. No. This was about paralyzing dread and fear and loneliness. And now, 40 years later, it was still in my dreams. I was still revisiting those intense feelings I experienced as I laid there, perfectly still, pretending to be asleep. Now, if you saw me when I was five years old, you would have seen a sweet, well-mannered, people-pleasing, cute redhead. What you wouldn't have seen, though, was the immense self-loathing. Yes, at age five, 
I just didn't think I was bad. I knew I was bad. And nobody could ever find out. Nobody. So through my early adulthood, I did end up telling people about what my stepfather did to me. I removed myself from that relationship. I went to counseling. I worked through the pain, and I landed a successful career in helping victims of child sexual abuse, right? Happy ending. Well, not exactly. You see, my 30-something self was doing pretty well. I appeared confident and smart. I was happy and fun to be around. I was recognized as a strong leader in the state of New Hampshire multiple times. I hung out with governors and senators, and I was appoint- appointed into, like, important roles. And, um, and, man, did I love that. I loved that attention. And you know why? I loved it because it dulled the noise in my head about the awful, pathetic person that I really was. Because here's the thing. It is never that simple. Let me go back for a moment. The one who snuck into my room when I was a young child, who silently, covertly, and systematically stole my innocence. He snuffed the light out that no child should be without. You see, those words, the glance, his touch, it made me shudder, and that would change my life forever. Because he set into this course of destruction that would last for decades and not just hurt me, but hurt so many people in my path. Because then another man came into my life when I was 14. This one was a person of authority. He was my track coach. I immediately sought his approval with my already shattered self and wounded heart. I gravitated to him. For four years, he focused in on my brokenness, and he filled me with lies and deceit, and I trusted every word. He took me into darkness and made me think that I went there willingly. He orchestrated every step. To the outside world, I had become a state champion sprinter in Connecticut. I had University of Vermont, University of Connecticut offering me money to go to their schools to run track. And yet, at the last minute, I went to my guidance counselor and said, put me somewhere where there's no track team. And that's how I ended up in New Hampshire at Keene State College. Because on the inside, he was transforming me until I became completely unrecognizable to myself. For years, I lived in shame. And I hated the person I was. Nobody knew any of this. Nobody. It takes a lot of energy, sisters and brothers. It takes a lot of energy to hold that noise down in your head. And it takes a lot of drinking alcohol and drinking it all the time. Or putting oneself in dangerous situations that felt thrilling and secretive that are way too many to count. All the while, keeping up these appearances of this put-together, successful woman, this eventually has a breaking point. And that is when I met Jesus. Thank God. I knew who he was, sort of. And I prayed to God sometimes. 
But it wasn't until I truly met him that I really understood who he was. Then again, there's no doubt, he knew exactly who I was. And this was terrifying at first. I mean, nobody really knew me, and I worked my whole life to keep it that way. Of course, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. I kind of just prided myself on being, like, complicated and mysterious. But now, little by little, like the woman from Samaria, I was discovering that he knows every single thing about me, my actions, my thoughts, and most certainly, my brokenness and shame. My life was being played back for me in pieces, remembering things he had done, seen, felt, in a different way, though. It was hard to believe that he was not only there with me, but he loved me during all of those times. So up until only nine years ago, I was in complete darkness. Nine years ago. I have a dog that's nine years old. Like, that, like that's not a long time. So this is a very new thing. And I wasn't just in darkness then, um, just in those reoccurring nightmares, but in my daily life with my young children. It was the worst kind of darkness. It was the kind that doesn't seem dark at all. It's the kind that kind of lulls you into thinking that, ah, it's all going to be okay until it just envelops you, until you realize your only hope is a savior. So every single morning, I thank God for saving me. I look back over the years where I was a half a step away from killing myself with alcohol and with drug addiction, from being lulled in by a sex trafficker, or just from being killed and abducted. But God had other plans, and we know that his plans are good. So a few years ago, God put on my heart that I needed to share this truth with people. I need to share that Jesus can heal, that counseling is really important, but man, Jesus is the way to the full healing. And so I felt like, yeah, yeah, pray for Jesus, clap for Jesus, right? And so I felt, you know, even though I was working for the National Children's Alliance, I felt, I, I need to do this kind of on the side. I need to, like, start a ministry where I'm you know, writing about it in blogs, and I'm talking to people, and I'm going to churches, and I'm sharing that, you know, let's, let's, let's look at how we can minister to men and women who have been sexually abused, because the statistics are so high. And so Light of Life Ministries was started that way. Little tiny thing, no money, nothing. <laughs> Just me, side thing, writing a blog, and talking to pastors. Um, but then out of that blog came this um, out-of-darkness Bible study where I put together these 8 to 12 weeks of um, classes where we look at shame, we look at powerlessness, we look at, at forgiveness, we look at distrust, and we, and we look at what that feels like in our lives. But then we look at, well, what does Jesus say about this? And, um, and so this, this 12-week class, I was like, all right, so I'm going to pilot this class because I'm going to offer it to churches for free and just come. And, and, uh, and so I piloted the, the class at another um, program in Manchester. And oh my goodness. So the women there were um, survivors of sex trafficking. They were substance use disorder. Uh, they had lots of domestic violence, lots of trauma in their life. And I was blown away 
so much connection about body image and perfectionism and control and loss of family and sexual identity and fear and all of it. But we were there in such a raw way and in the safety of God's word. We looked through scripture and the gospel to heal. So, you know, I, I was working so hard my whole life on these kids to help them to heal. And, and I started realizing, like, what about these women that didn't have that opportunity? And so God started really speaking to me. And one day I was leaving that program, and I'll never forget it. It was I was in my, my car, and I was driving away, and literally God, well, well, he wasn't like Morgan Freeman, but he was speaking to me somehow. And he's like, you do it. You open a place. You open a transitional housing place and, and call it the lighthouse. And I was like, whoa. So I called my husband, you know, who is a pastor. And I'm like, okay, am I crazy? Because I think God's calling me to, like, quit everything and open our, our own transitional housing place for these women. And, and by the way, it's called Lighthouse. And, of course, my husband was like, yep, that makes sense. Let's do it. And so we had 18 months of God teaching me to trust him to be patient, to trust him, to let go. Did I say, did I say to trust him? Oh my goodness. Guys, we had, it was, there were so many times in these 18 months where I was literally on my knees. Like, I can't do this, God. We would, we would find a house and then the house was taken away. We would think we found funding, and then that funding just disintegrated overnight. We thought we had some partners that would help. Then suddenly they didn't want to do something or sign something. It was up and down for 18 months. And then guess what? The pandemic showed up. And I was like, nope, nope. And thank God my husband was like, yes, yes. And so ultimately we ended up getting... $458,000 from the city of Manchester to open and renovate a house. Yeah. Only God. Only God. Um, We had other foundations um, coming up. We had individual donors that were starting to rally around. We had a board of directors that was getting together, and we started really moving. Again, this is in the pandemic. Um, And then my biggest step in faith was to actually step away from my job at NCA. This is like my career, right? Remember I hung my whole, like, this is who I am on this career. And, um, and so, you know, it was at least a 50% salary cut. It was like, I was like dumping in, jumping into the waters. Um, but I was running one day and again, literally God was like, you're not trusting me, man. You are not like you say you trust me, but you're holding on to that job. You're not totally in it. So I resigned, and that was March of 2021, and uh, we ended up um, opening the doors um, to the Lighthouse in December of 2021. So let me tell you about what the Lighthouse is. The Lighthouse is this beautiful home. There are pictures out there, also with pictures of Revive, which we'll tell you about. Um, It is a home for women who are in crisis. So women who are in crisis due to homelessness, domestic violence, sexual exploitation, drugs and alcohol, mental health issues, really which all stem from, you guessed it, child sexual abuse or child trauma. 
we are now looking to bring these women in to this home environment. When you walk in, you just feel it. It's, it's, it's home. And they will live there in this home for 9 to 12 months. And we have a curriculum. Um, so they have classes that they take, and these are Christian-based classes. Um, we have partners with Catholic Medical Center, Healthcare for the Homeless. All their medical and mental health care is all is all partnered out. So we, our case manager, will bring them to their appointments to get them connected. They'll also work on their finances through Crown Financial Program. Many of you have probably heard of that. Um, so they'll have mentors for women um, to get financial literacy. We have a case manager who works with them on individual plans. Um, education planning, parenting, um, job planning. And then we have this amazing group of women who this is a volunteer position, so perk up your ears because we need more, who are life mentors. These women, um, it's sort of like big brother, big sister, where they connect. We connect them with the woman in the house. And so you have a relationship with them, and they spend three to five hours a week with them, maybe taking them to appointments, maybe to an AA meeting, um, maybe just going out for coffee, but sharing time, sharing their heart, um, and just living life with them. We have um, overnight resident assistants that sleep at the house, and we have churches. So we have, um, so far, we have, oh gosh, 12 to 15 church partners. Um, and not on, only are they financial partners, but they're partners where we can have the women go to their churches to worship because not everybody likes the same kind of worship, right? The same kind of church. And so we want to make sure that we help them find a church that feels good to them and feels home to them because when they leave the lighthouse, that's their church family. And, and we are knowing and hoping that they're going to continue to love on them and that authentic relationship. Uh, we have many partners too. Um, and, which I won't go into because I'm talking too much. <laughs> but the women at the lighthouse, they all live together. They eat dinner together every night. Um, they take turns on who is supposed to cook a meal. And really, the whole house is, is a place where they can just um, have an environment where Christ's love is reflected. Um, they have a community of connections, community connections of services, um, they have a vocational path by the time they leave. They're going to have a church family by the time they leave. They're going to have Jesus. Um, you know, we can't make people believe in Jesus, but, man, we can share the truth. And we can tell them, and we can pray for them. God is going to do the work in changing their hearts, and God will heal them. Um, and we know that. We know that if it is his will, he will. So we live that to him. We do... We provide the space. We provide the love and the structure both inside the community. Um, but then we just let the lighthouse shine. We opened um, our doors to let the women in in September of 2000. No, December in 2021. 21? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's been a whirlwind of a six months, I will say. And I'll just briefly say this is really hard work. Um, but the women that are coming through, the women that God is sending, sometimes they can only last a few months. Sometimes they take off. Sometimes they, they end up deciding to use drugs again, or it just, they can't take it. 
Um, but even the ones that stay that short time, I know God put them there for that season for a reason. And the ones that, that are continuing to go through, it is amazing to see how much they are changing. And, and it's God. Like, it's God. Um, my biggest hope with the lighthouse is that as women move on with their lives, like I don't really want them to remember me. I don't want them to remember the staff. I want them to remember like, well, lighthouse, that was the place that I met Jesus. That was the place that I, I healed from Jesus. And, uh, and so that's, that's our biggest goal. So through this whole process, um, along this 18 month time period, I met the wonderful Donna Plord and Donna and I just immediately connected. We were at a meeting and we just both shared a heart for helping these women. And we knew right away that God was doing something. It was one of those, like, you know, you meet somebody and it's like, spark, spark, spark. And you're like, what is God doing? Why does he want me to talk to you so much? And, um, and so Donna's going to share with you about, about her piece of the ministry and then how we combined them all so that we could really serve these women well um, in this, in this uh, ministry with God. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? We all good. Thank you. It's so good to be here this morning. And as Christy already mentioned, um, we so value these opportunities and we just loved the chance to worship with you this morning. Jesus is here and it's powerful and we're very, very grateful. I um, want to share a little bit about um, how I ended up doing the work that um, we do or I, I've been doing for the last number of years. And um, I would say that primarily my journey began um, with the family that I was raised in. Uh, some of you here know my parents uh, quite well. Um, I feel like it's old home days in, in, in some ways, and it's really fun to reconnect with you today. And my parents were, um, so, some of you may know them, Ralph and Dorothy, um, back in the day, they uh, were pastoring Sheepfold Assembly of God in Nashua. It's a little small uh, mission church that at the time was um, started as a ministry. They were reaching out to people on the street, ministering to, to individuals that were, were hurting and on the streets in Nashua, um, began with a Bible study, began with prayer. Um, eventually that evolved into a church. They were serving lunch every day, and this was before there was a soup kitchen in Nashua. And for me, I, I'm so grateful to have grown up in a situation where um, being the hands and feet of Jesus, as um, Melissa shared earlier, was modeled for me on a regular basis. Um, it, it was just shown. Jesus sought out, he prayed with, he, he sat with the marginalized, the hurting, the outcasts, right? The ignored, um, those that were forgotten, uh, those that were in the shadows, so to speak. And for me, um, I think that started to move towards um, what really resonated with me was women and children in crisis. And I started to learn more and more about the lack of value that women have in the world in many places where you may be well aware that, for example, in China with the one-child policy or in India, um, they favor sons, right? And there's selective abortions and things like that. There's sexual violence and assault, as Christy already mentioned. Um, there are even today areas of the world where individuals are denied education. Women are denied education and girls. 
And in 2006, the Lord, and I don't say this lightly, literally dropped into my heart. Um, and it's a long story, so I'll try to make it as short as possible here. But um, he, he just increased my love and care and concern uh, for women specifically. And he dropped into my heart the fact that human trafficking was happening. Um, and it was happening today. And actually, there were more individuals that were caught up in what we call modern-day slavery than there were during the transatlantic slave trade. And how can this even be happening? It was hard for me to even wrap my mind around that. But it turns out that of those individuals that are being trafficked today, 71% are women and girls, and one in four victims are children. It's a $150 billion in profits enterprise, 99 billion of which comes from sex trafficking. And so, again, just like I remember saying to, to myself, like, well, saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. It was such a heavy burden. But I remember thinking, I don't know what to do with this. Like many of you, perhaps, when it first came across your radar, it was an international issue. You know, it's happening in Southeast Asia. It's happening in Africa or India, Nepal, perhaps Eastern Europe. Um, but he opened my eyes that, yes, that's, it's happening there. It's really important, but it's also happening right here. And... But I remember thinking, seriously, I don't know what to do. I live in New Hampshire. What am I going to do about this? But I also knew that it wasn't going away. The burden was there. And so the first place to start was to learn more and to help grow, just grow my own understanding of what this looked like, um, how it was happening, um, and what could we do about it. And in that time, I really, um, I did, see, I sought out, you know, are there other organizations I could connect with? Other, um, is there something going on here in our area that I might be able to um, uh, come alongside? And really, at that time, there wasn't. There weren't any other nonprofits that I was familiar with or, or learned of or organizations. But slowly, um, I started to connect with different people. And so back in 2011, and this is after having gone on a mission trip with our, our church to help establish a safe house in, in Burma. There's a lot of trafficking, on the, especially along the China border, and as you may be familiar with in Thailand. So again, getting some international understanding and knowledge, but looking for that place to plant right here in our own state. Um, and so looking for opportunities to learn, looking for opportunities to connect, and finding, again, that there really wasn't um, any organization we could come alongside at that time. And so getting together with a number of women that I knew were like-minded, we went into a season of prayer, and we just were, you know, honestly, we were tired of talking about it. We're just tired of talking about the fact that these things are happening, not just trafficking, but some of the other issues that Christy was talking about. What can we do, Lord? What are you calling us to? What do you want this to look like? And, and I remember during that time, we met together a number of times to just keep praying into it. One of the things the Lord did was he gave me a really vivid picture of a house, a yellow house, and it said welcome on it. And I, I thought, whoa, that's a big step. I, 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 we're, you know, we're, we're looking into what could we possibly do, and, but I knew that it was a need and it was important, but it just seemed like I don't know how to get there. And so we kept praying, and eventually it came together that because there's no one we can really connect with, that we would start a nonprofit. And that became real life giving. 
And we started that nonprofit back in 2012. Um, And that particular year, and this is another story, but the Lord also connected me with the New Hampshire Human Trafficking Collaborative Task Force, which was instrumental in providing a really wonderful basis for collaboration and meeting partners that would be instrumental in the work that we're doing, filling those gaps, working together to address this particular issue. So, so grateful for the work. And I've been involved with the task force since then. Um, And I have, over the years, um, also served as the training coordinator for the task force and still do at this point. But I also want to just share today, too, that um, a couple of things. First of all, as we were praying in that season, the Lord put on our heart what our, our our scripture verse would be that would define our mission. And that was Isaiah 117. And it said, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows, and I would say unprotected women in that. Thank you, Lord, for moving our hearts. Thank you for helping us define what you wanted this to look like. And we went into a season of Again, continuing to pray and to plan and talking about it with literally whoever that might be. That might be a home group that we were invited to come in and share. It might be a church um, uh, event that was happening. But it also sometimes, honestly, it was me talking about it to anybody who would listen. (laughs) I'll just share from my perspective. Like literally, if I ran into someone at the grocery store, guess what? At some point, the conversation was probably going to come around to that. Some of you may know me for the years that we worked at, my husband and I used to own Harvest Bookstore, and then once we sold the store, I worked at Morningstar, and I only mention that um, because, again, conversations as they would come up, just sharing what God was putting on my heart. And so we began by raising awareness, because, you know, until people know that there's an issue, there's really nothing that you can do um, to move forward from that and and to gain the support that's, that's necessary. And so, um, again, just sharing whenever we had those opportunities. And I will just say today, if there's someone here that is wondering why the Lord is taking so long, like you felt a burden, you felt a calling, and you seem to be in a waiting season, I can so understand that because there were times when I used to think, Lord, did I hear you? And each time I I got to that point, the Lord would encourage me. There would be a word from someone. Sometimes they didn't even know that they were giving me the word. Or um, the Lord would speak through his scripture or whatever that might be to keep taking the next step. Just take the next step. And I just want you to know if that's you today, that there's, there's, God is doing so much in the waiting. He's pulling things together beyond what we see. And it's not too late. Just know that. From awareness and doing, starting to do some training as well, we um, eventually were connected with a few other people. We were literally prayed into Manchester um, by a person who um, he heads up. You, some of you may be familiar with 1269 Cafe. Um, he had been praying for two years that an organization would come to Manchester that would minister to women specifically because he knew the need that they were seeing. We were very grateful for for that at time, and that shortly after that, we began street outreach in Manchester. And once we started doing that, walking the neighborhood and um, sometimes setting up tables in a park um, in an area where we knew there was a lot of um, hurt, there was a lot of exploitation going on, um, it became very clear quickly in the conversations we were having that 
one of the things the ladies were really wishing for, too, was a safe, welcoming space for them. And that led to us praying for a couple of years at that point um, about opening a space, because this was a big step for us. We were, uh, like as Christy said when she started, we were a tiny little nonprofit. Um, everybody is volunteer. And um, it was one of those things. It's something to do awareness. It's something to have a prayer team. It's something to have an outreach. Those are really important. But now we were looking at potentially taking on rent, and we knew that was a big, a big step for us. But God clearly guided. And we were so grateful that in 20, the end of 2018, uh, we were able to open our drop-in center, which is called Revive. And at Revive, women can come in and they can hang out with us. They can have some coffee and snacks. They can just have conversation in, a, again, a safe, welcoming environment of acceptance and not judgment. And um, if they'd like to, they can participate in the arts and crafts. We're almost always working on a project. It's kind of a great way to have these natural, organic conversations with people as you focus on something else. And, so, and it's healing in itself, isn't it, sometimes to just have a chance to do something creative? And so we do that, but our goal is to build relationships and to build trust, often among women who have very little reason to trust anyone. And so the hope is then that as they connect with us, if they need case management, if they don't already have that, and sometimes the first step is something as simple as helping get ID. Um, You can't access any services, as you can imagine, unless you have ID, right, your social security card and some form, of, some form of identification, your birth certificate, things like that. And so if they don't have case management, we can help with some of those things, helping them get to appointments, for example, making other connections that are valuable. But our hope is also that they might engage in some of the programming we can offer. And as needed and as uh, there's interest, uh, we, we run different groups. Right now we're doing Out of Darkness at Revive in the evening with some of the ladies from Revive and some of the ladies from the Lighthouse. And then um, we also have... Uh, certification to facilitate a program called Ending the Game, which is specifically for uh, women who are processing their experience as as survivors of exploitation, uh, the coercion, the manipulation, um, how that affected them, and being able to start to move forward, building resiliency and coping skills. Um, and there are a variety of other programs that we can we can do as well. Um, but then, you know, to tie this into what, what Christy was saying, too, as you know, um, approximately a couple of years ago now, um, but certainly in the last 18 months, uh, Christy and I knew from the time we met that we, there was a connection there and that it made sense. We were serving the same population. It made sense to come together and um, to partner. And we knew that, you know, we could, we could see ourselves making uh, referrals to the Lighthouse, for example. And... Um, it was interesting because as time went on, I felt really strongly, uh, very strongly impressed that it was supposed to be more than that. But I also remember talking to God and going, this doesn't even make sense. She's opening a home. This takes a lot of time talking about coming together in a way that's more formal. Oh, my gosh. You know, adding that to the mix right now, Lord, I just don't know if that's the right timing. Even though my heart was there, I just knew that I knew that I knew. Um, but I will say this, over, as God often does, over a short period of time, a couple of weeks at this point, um, this happened last summer, specifically, it would not leave. It was constant. I want you to talk to Christy, basically. I want you to explore this. Talk to Christy. And I remember, I don't always do this, but I do remember at that point I put out a fleece. I was kind of like, Lord, 
I'm willing to do that, but if you really, I just need you to confirm this. If you really want me to open this door to this conversation, which is going to involve a lot of exploration, right, um, then please, you have to have her ask me. And so, again, pandemic, right? We had been closed for a while at Revive. We were still doing outreach, but we had been closed. We were staying together, you know, connected to, with some of our participants, certainly, in very creative ways. Um, but Christy and I, I mentioned this because pandemic again. So we went out for coffee. Can't go in anywhere at this point. So we are eating, we're having our coffee in her car. And I'll never forget that. And we're not in that car with the coffee two minutes before she turns to me and says, so what are you thinking this is supposed to look like? What do you think about our partnership? And I went in my, I I actually said it out loud. I'm like, okay, Lord. (laughs) Um, and I just said, this is what I've asked of the Lord. This is what I'm feeling. I feel like he's calling us to a more formal partnership. And she said, so do I. And so in the midst of looking to open the house, we started also exploring the merger and what that would look like and went through the process. And clearly here we are. So I'll spare you those details. Um, but we did officially merge as of January. And, you know, it's been a really wonderful way to, um, to really utilize our resources um, in, a, in, a, in a better way, in the sense that, um, you know, we've uh, consolidated administrative oversight, um, our financial resources, being able to come together. I think we complement each other in our skill sets. Um, and we can see that there's a continuum of care. You know, hopefully we can reach people on the street. We invite them to come to Revive. We hope that we can then refer them to the lighthouse. This is, of course, not going to happen for everyone. Everyone has different needs. But the other piece to it, too, is once they leave the lighthouse, once they graduate, not that that's happened yet because the program's still new, but once that happens, they could, we could also offer aftercare. They could come back, meet with their case manager, potentially, at Revive if they'd like to, a way to stay connected and, and continue to receive that support. And so we, we saw it as a way that the fruit would really be multiplied. And... At Light of Life, we are committed to walking alongside, um, to offering a consistent, caring presence in the community, offering encouragement, grace, and support. We're speaking life. We're hope bearers. I love, Serena, how you said we're going to be ridiculously hopeful (laughs) this morning. Amen. Um, And as Christ followers, I believe we're in a unique position. As Christy said, there's so many things that are important. We know that counseling and therapy are very important. But ultimately, it's our relationship with Jesus that's transformational. And I don't believe that there's lasting change without Jesus in our lives. And so as Christ followers, we can offer dignity, and we can offer hope and respect and new life and freedom. We can offer freedom from shame and stigma, freedom from judgment and isolation, Freedom from fear, fear of violence, fear of control, fear of pain, fear of the future when you don't know what that's going to look like. Freedom from living for the pleasure and profit of others. And we can help people be free too, free to dream and explore and make their own healthy choices. Free to set goals and plan for their future. To know that they even have the agency to make choices for themselves in situations where often that control has been taken from them. They're free to learn and recognize that they are valued and deeply loved by our Savior and by us, that they are purposed, that they are treasured, 
that they are a child of God created in his image, and they have tremendous value, and they're free to hope. We look forward to sharing more with you. We have a table out there, um, and we will, I know it's getting a little bit late, so we'll save our questions. Please do come up and ask, but I do want to share also that the training that we're offering on September 17th, which is again via Zoom, it's a Saturday morning, um, if you would like to volunteer with us, we do, this re- we do require the training. However, this training is open to anyone, anyone who would like to work with individuals who are dealing with life-controlling issues. So it doesn't have to be with us. Um, it, it's a way to equip and empower volunteers for their outreach teams. So please know that you're very welcome and there's no expectation. Would we love to have you volunteer with us? Of course. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, please know that that's not required by any means. But um, we also have ways that we can come together and pray. We have a prayer team, and we can pray, be praying sp- strategically. I know that that's foundational um, here at Faith Worship Center. There's power in coming together, and there's power in coming alongside. We who have freedom, the resources, and the opportunity, as well as the strength, the wisdom, and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, can be a voice in the fight for change, both through prayer and in our spheres of influence. We can meet practical needs, and we can empower members of our community with support and encouragement. We can refuse to do nothing. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.